uh, public consultation meetings taking place in this county with local communities in relation to offshore wind farm plans still far in the off uh, in terms of when they actually will start and when they get planning permission and all of that because of regulation uh, being brought in in terms of modernising the planning process for this area the east coast of the country the Irish Sea is likely to see uh, m- Uh, the first of the modern term offshore wind farms being built before we see something on this side of the water but are we squandering the huge potential we have off the west coast and the southwest coast of Kerry in particular for offshore wind farms Billy Kelleher MEP with Fianna Fáil feels that we are he says we need to get our act together on offshore wind and are risking losing the potential of our wind energy industry due to delays lack of infrastructure and staff shortages I spoke to him before coming on air this morning well, we've huge opportunity with the size of our seas off the west coast in particular. So, I mean, there are indications that if we harness the amount of electricity potential there, you know, we could be exporting a lot of it in the years ahead into the into the European Union. But to do that, we have the significant investment is required, both in upgrading the national grid, transporting electricity from where it's generated to where it's needed, and also in terms of exporting it. So we, we do need greater interconnectivity between Ireland and Europe so we can uh, transport uh, electricity as well. So that would be a key area. The other area, Jerry, where we have a significant challenge is in, uh, the number of ports that are suitable or that have been um, you know, designed so that you can construct uh, wind turbines on port and then float them out uh, to deep anchorage uh, off the west coast of Ireland. And that's a significant area where we do need to invest. We have to identify a few ports and we have to put a lot of investment into them. So uh, on top of that then, of course, we, we still have this issue around how do we store electricity. In other words, we generate it from wind, um, we can use it directly, but sometimes there's an obligation on us to store it because we simply can't use it all at any one time. And that really requires us to move into the area of hydrogen production as well, whereby we generate electricity, convert um, water into hydrogen, and then use the hydrogen at a later stage in terms of gas uh, for uh, either energy production itself, uh, home heating, whatever is required. But certainly that particular issue of not having any capacity on Ireland in terms of large-scale um, hydrogen manufacturing is, is a key weakness as well. So I think there, there are a number of areas and then finally, we have a skills shortage in Ireland, uh, both in the public administration and in board Planola, um, in, in the departments that are responsible themselves. And they are competing with trying to retain um, skill sets when the industries also look at those exact same people. So there's a, a job of work to be done so that we can meet yeah. our ambitious targets. We, we, and, um, we don't have enough planners that. with the, the record experience, not enough staff in terms of the marine experience to try and process these applications to get them going um, as, as quickly as we need to get them going. Yes, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, if you look at uh, the numbers of people uh, that are in the departments that are responsible in the environment and, uh, and housing departments, if you look at board Planola, and now we've established new marine authority regulatory um, uh, authority as well. So, I mean, that certainly is an area that will have to be looked at very, very quickly to ensure that we have no delays in terms of applications coming before the new maritime area regulatory authority being assessed, a license being granted for the seabed exploration and assessment, and then finally when an application is made from Borkanola sometime later, that there's no delays as well because of a shortage of staff. And that is a key component. And I've you know, met the industry and they are concerned about that. And that is something that's being said internationally as well, that it's slow to get uh, pro, uh, pro, projects through the planning process in Ireland and it can be quicker elsewhere in the UK. The same uh, process takes uh, a very short 
period of time compared to yeah. Ireland. So we are in a competitive world as well, so we can't be lethargic in terms of application, granting and planning permissions, and the broader ambition. Yeah, and um, we, we also need infrastructure. Only one deep water port with the facilities at the moment, that's in Belfast, not even in our jurisdiction as things stand. There's a master plan in place for fines. We have seen it here in Kerry, but very little happening on the ground at the moment, to, to my view, view of it anyway. Billy, does that need to change and change quickly? It needs to change very, very quickly. I mean, bear in mind, these are large infrastructural projects. So, I mean, if you identify fines, if you identify Ross Lair or some other ports around the country, I mean, there should be one on the west and one on the east coast, obviously. But, I mean, if you identify those ports and you go about a, pro- a process of enhancing their capabilities, that will take a significant amount of time by the time you're through the whole planning process, the capital investment, the construction itself. So we have to plan uh, with the expectation that these things w- w- will happen quicker than they are. Otherwise, uh, you know, companies will not be able to um, um, assemble these uh, turbines um, and, you know, therefore if they're drawing them from France or from the Netherlands, or from the UK will put huge additional expense on those uh, projects and they may not go ahead if we don't do what we need to do in Ireland from the point of view of capital investment in the grid, in ports uh, and in personnel. Okay, and, and following on from that, on, on the policy side of it, there was a bit of a U-turn done by the government in the last couple of weeks, in the last week or so, um, That that and, and this is, you're talking about putting projects at risk, and um, there, there's an estimation from industry that more than 80% of the offshore wind projects in the planning pipeline are at risk, because the government announced to industry that, uh, and, and Department of the Environment, Climate and Communications officials told the recent Infrared Conference that developers would no longer be able to choose their own sites for offshore projects, and um, industry insiders reportedly angry and frustrated at this move. Yes, I mean, like, when there's huge competition across the globe for capital, for investment, and there's huge opportunities in, in Norway, Sweden, and Poland, Denmark, and the UK, but across the globe for, for, for investment in, wind, in, in offshore wind farms, you know, Ireland can't put barriers in place that would force, you know, those particular companies and businesses to go elsewhere. So I think there has to be strong liaison between the industry and the policy makers and that sometimes you can't be just announcing in the middle of a process uh, that you know there's a policy change which can unnerve investment and that just delays and uncertainty can can diminish people's confidence in Ireland's ability to deliver on projects so I think they, they really have to streamline that not only their ambition but the policy that underpins that ambition to ensure that investors companies uh, the broader industry that's developing wind farms will see Ireland as a place of certainty and of opportunity in terms of wind farm development. Is that the government trying to head off the problems and issues that have been raised by local communities in terms of fishing areas and marine protected areas in terms of where wind farms actually go, offshore wind farms actually go, or, or does more work need to be done between the department now following on from that decision and that change in policy to encourage investors to stick with us and not go elsewhere with their projects? Yes, well, there's no doubt. I mean, like, the people that are most impacted by offshore wind farming obviously will be uh, fishers. Um, and, you know, we do need to put in place a mechanism whereby there is a, an agreed compensation uh, system in place. Uh, for example, in the event of uh, an area of sea being closed for exploration to see whether or not it is suitable for um, uh, flotation wind turbines, uh, you know, large areas of, of the sea could be closed at specific times. So we do need to put in place... Um, a proper consultative liaison uh, group between fishers 
and the industry and obviously government being the, the, the broker in that to ensure that there's certainty around what fishers are entitled to, the impact it will have on their livelihoods and whether or not some types of fishing will be compatible with wind turbine um, developments uh, in deep waters. So I think there are issues that have to be discussed, but we can't have a situation where halfway through a process where you're trying to attract people in, that there's a, a change, a major change in how policy is, is developed that can scare and frighten off investment. And this really is about two things. It's about ensuring that we have enough wind uh, generation to fuel ourselves in terms of electricity to convert uh, to hydrogen and also to export electricity to the European grid to our interconnectors of which we need several more as well so it's not just about companies this is more about Ireland Inc having and really harnessing the opportunities that are out there and every other country Jory, across Europe looks at us with envy in terms of the amount of wind that is being uh, that's off, off our shores and the capacity that Ireland has to generate not just for itself but huge volumes for exporting to European good as well. Okay, finally and briefly on a separate issue, you've been tweeting yesterday Billy about Sinn Féin in response to the story of their local election returns for the last local elections you're, you're saying that uh, Sinn Féin have a lot of experience to do in, their, in terms of their finances, pretending to take the average industrial wage, gorging in the trough of corporate America, a massive property portfolio, an all-island party until it comes to 4 million euro wills and donations several trips to SIPO to amend their finance and election expenses returns hypocrisy you're attacking them well I'm, I'm calling out what I see as hypocrisy I mean we can't have a situation where you know only a couple of weeks ago we had uh, Minister Pascal O'Donoghue being you know vilified for what was human errors but you know and the scale of where we are in terms of a, a, a posters uh, and Sinn Féin taking such a high moral ground and such you know, a definitive ground on this, you know, accusing him of corruption, of breaking corporate uh, governance in terms of his obligations as a TD, as a minister. You know, I, I watched those debates, and it, it was vicious, to say the least. Uh, and I just find that, you know, look, uh, I mean, we, we are obliged to keep um, parties accountable. We're obliged to keep TDs and MEPs accountable. But at the same time, a party that went into the door made scurrilous, outrageous allegations about, you know, the breaches of ethics, breaches of corporate governance, um, that, you know, bordering on corruption. And then we find that the party that was making all these allegations simply, you know, it doesn't even have its proper electoral returns uh, in place. Uh, and this is the, a number of times that they've been found out in terms of not uh, putting forward their, um, their, their their proper financial returns. There may be very good reasons for it. There may be mistakes. But please, when you're on the high moral ground, at least make every effort to do it right.